They are going crazy. Welcome to the fifth night of the Touchdown 2020 NFL Draft Show. Last night we discussed the cornerback position and today we switch back to the offense as we focus on the running back position. If you have missed any of our previous shows and want to catch up with them, then you can find them on the site at thetouchdown.co.uk as well as on our Twitter feed at thetouchdownNFL. Finally, if podcasts are more your thing, then you can find an audio version of the show on the Touchdown feed at all major podcast providers. So back with us tonight is our NFL analyst and a member of our social media team, Tom Willoughby. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, not too bad. I've got a bit of a cold coming on, I think. But uh, apart from that, I can't complain. Thanks well, for that's asking. all good. I'm glad to hear that. I hope the cold goes away, and I, because uh, we, we need you here next week or later in the week. So make sure you're fully healthy and you can come on and help me. I'll do my best. <laughs> and with us for the first time tonight is our head of NFL draft content and also the college side of the website, Simon Carroll, who has put out a wealth of brilliant content so far this offseason, including over 250 draft profiles, a top 200 big board, and a full seven-round mock draft. How are you doing, Si? Not too bad, guys. Thanks very much for having me on. Been, yeah, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we've been uh, waiting to get you on. We've had some really good nights, and now you're going to talk us through the running back position, and then later in the week you're going to go through the linebacker position with us, both of positions that I'm really looking forward to hearing more about. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I was, I was really enjoyed the last uh, four nights. Um, Rebecca did an awesome job last two nights. Got a lot to live up to today. Um, running back's one of a position of interest, I would say, in this draft. So, Let's get into it. Let's start. Yeah, so tonight we're going to start off a little bit different because we're actually going to focus on a current NFL player briefly as opposed to the prospects. So around this time last night, while we were actually on air, Christian McCaffrey signed a four-year, 67 million contract extension. The exact terms of the deal are still unknown as of when we started this show. So the true value of the deal in terms of guaranteed money and what it looks like in years three and four of that extension are, are yet to be fully known. What we do know is that it essentially works out as a six-year, $12.5 million deal when you include the fourth year of his rookie deal and the option year that he's still got to come as well. So, Tom, we all saw what CMC did last year, and if um, you were at the Spurs stadium to watch them against the Buccaneers, you saw it in person, and it was fairly impressive. I was down pitch side, saw it firsthand, and I was absolutely blown away by what he brought to the table, especially in space. But what did you make of this deal? Yeah, so, I mean, b b before I sort of deliver my uh, verdict on it, that there are a few sort of caveats that need to be sort of brought up before we sort of even kick it off. So you're, you're right. The performance last, last season, both at, in, at Spurs um, and in general, was just fantastic. What was it over 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving? That's, that's pretty obscene. Um, and I don't think it's saying too much by saying that he is basically the Panthers offense at this point. Um, obviously they've just signed Teddy Bridgewater and I think I do like uh, DJ Moore as a, as a wide receiver, but outside of that, there's not a great deal there. And, and given they've lost Cam Newton and uh, Luke Keekley, he's, he's very much the face of the Carolina Panthers at this point. So based purely on that, it makes sense to, first and foremost, keep him happy and, and sort of tie him down to a contract that he's going to excel off of ultimately. 
the big question then comes with the position that he plays. So the running back position in the NFL, the modern day NFL, is quite volatile. And we've seen in recent history um, players given a pretty hefty contract and almost immediately fail to live up to that. The, the, the ones that come to mind immediately because they're pretty much associated with, with my team are Todd Gurley and, and Devontae Freeman, who had massive success in Super Bowl run seasons, were given a, uh, a, a contract extension, a pretty large contract extension, and then almost immediately succumbed to the injuries that come with playing the position. Now, fortunately for the Panthers, um, McCaffrey hasn't had any injuries that have resulted in losing game time, which is kind of um, rare for for a running back. And he's and he's only twenty three years old as well, which is mad. When I I, mean, I didn't realize that I didn't realize he was that young. So I mean, I I would be reluctant to say that it was a good choice to make. But I understand the reasons behind making it. Now, with it being an extension, that's going to run him up to 2026. He'll be 30 by the time that it runs out. So whether or not he actually sees the end of that contract is a different matter. And as you say, we've got to wait for the exact terms to come out and and find out exactly how much is up front and how much is, is spaced over the first couple of years. But in theory, it could be quite a smart decision as the Panthers continue to find themselves both in in terms of revamping their defense and, and possibly finding a long-term quarterback solution whether it works out as a long-term option i i don't want to say um I, obviously I, I don't want to um speculate on a player potentially getting injured but that is the territory that comes with being a running back unfortunately um i like it for him i like seeing players get paid um because it, it's it's just a nice thing, um, but whether or not it's a smart one down the line, I'm not too sure. So I understand the reasons behind it. I'm not fully on board with it. In long story short, yeah, that's fair enough. I I kind of see it the same way. And until we know, as we've said, the exact terms in years three, four, five, and six of what is now his contract, it's going to be hard to really judge it. The initial reaction is to say don't pay running backs. I completely agree with that in general. However, I don't think Christian McCaffrey is he's, he's definitely not the same kind of running back as Devonta Freeman, for example, and even to an extent Todd Gurley, because they've used him less between the tackles generally, it feels like, or he's taken less hits, whether that's the way he kind of runs or the way that they've utilised him. He doesn't seem to have taken the same brutal kind of pounding that most running backs take in the early part of their career. We're obviously going to have a direct correlation between him and Ezekiel Elliott, who signed his monster deal last year. And we're going to find out really then how those two kind of compare in terms of how this deal works. And we might learn a lot about which type of running back you want to pay. Do you want to pay the guy that generally seems to be out in, put out in space more often? Or do you want to pay the guy that's generally running through the line a bit more in Zeke? So that's going to be interesting to see. Again, hard to really judge the deal. Obviously, the natural reaction is to say it's a bad deal. Don't pay your running backs. Pay your other positions. They're more important. But we have to see how the deal shakes out, see what the cap hit is before we make a final judgment. But the real reason I wanted to kind of start there is because I wanted to see how we feel somebody like Christian McCaffrey and someone like Ezekiel Elliott compare to this current draft class. 
And Si, that's where I wanted to ask you, what do you see from the likes of DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor? How do you see them kind of comparing? Are they somewhere around either McCaffrey and Zeke? Or are we talking about them being below them or probably not above them, but somewhere in that region? Well, just to throw my two penitent on uh, Christian McCaffrey before we do get to those guys, um, I'd like to just suggest that he's more than a running back, isn't he? He's a running back, he's a receiver as well, you know. And yeah, he's he was undersized when he came out of school. There was always durability concerns there, but he's obviously held up so far. So if he, And like Willow said, he's only 23. So he's got a lot of tread left on his tyres. Um, he's getting paid. If you just look at the extension itself, and it's, it's, it's averaging at $16 million a year, though we don't know how, exactly how it's broken down. That's more than OBJ, Devontae Adams, Newt Hopkins, Julio Jones, similar to Mike Evans, you know, and that's because of the production he brings on both sides of the football. So I consider him an outlier as a running back in general. Uh, and I think you can say the same thing when you compare him to the prospects as well. I mean, in terms of rankings... Welcome back to night five of the 2020 NFL Touchdown Show. Um, so we had a bit of a technical difficulty there. The uh, the technology failed on the uh, for the producer. He did his best and he's got us back up. So thank you very much, Alex. That's great work. Um, so guys, really, what we've just given you an insight there too is as as I'll give Willow the credit. He made the joke. That's essentially an insight into what could happen draft night if all of the internet goes down and none of the picks can be made. The NFL draft could be cancelled. Hopefully they've got a producer as good as ours who can get it back up and running quickly for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to dive straight back in where I believe we left you, which was me just asking Sai how he thinks this class compares to some to people like Christian McCaffrey and Zeke Elliott from previous classes. So Sai, how do you see this comparison? Do you think anybody in this class matches up to Christian McCaffrey? And where are they in terms of in the realms of talking about the likes of Zeke and people like that and when you were evaluating them a few years back? So what we said about um, Christian McCaffrey is that there's a little bit different to uh, a running back who can catch out of the backfield. Basically, he's a, he's a running back and a wide receiver. And that's like a, an echelon above maybe a, a really good running back out of the backfield. So comparing these guys, even if they are good pass catchers as a running back, is, is probably not fair really. Um, as I said as well, DeAndre Swift, Jonathan Taylor, they're my two guys in the top 20. But putting them in the same echelons as CMC, who I had higher back in the day, and definitely Zeke Elliott, who I had higher because he was much more of a sure thing back in the day. Um, yeah, not quite there yet, really. Um, in terms of an actual skill set, obviously you can compare Clyde Edwards Hiller closest at the top four running backs this year to uh, CMC, purely because he does have that pass catching ability. And with Zeke, You'd have to say Jonathan Taylor more so because he's the first one between the tackles, a running back machine, really. But in terms of CMC, the direct comparison, even though he's nowhere near the same level, I would argue that that'd be Eno Benjamin from Arizona State. He's five foot ten, two hundred ten pounds. That's pretty much the same size and weight that uh, CMC was coming out of Stanford, who obviously had um, durability concerns then as well. Again, Eno Benjamin, a bit of a jack of all trades, can do everything that you ask him to do. But yeah, more of a day, late day two, early day three pick, really. So in terms of, of how these guys stack up with the elite at the NFL, yeah, maybe not there, certainly not this stage, I think. But to be fair, when we when we judged Christian McCaffrey three years ago, not, not everyone thought he was going to be an elite running back either. I mean, a lot of people were shocked when the Panthers took him 
as high as they did. You know, this is uh, a guy who was polarizing himself, just like a lot of these um, running backs are. But yeah, but for me, Swift and Taylor, they're not quite in the same level as Zeke and uh, CMC. So now really focusing in on these guys and trying to go in a little bit deeper. Obviously, running back position has been devalued recently. We discussed earlier about not having any of these guys in the top 10 like we have done in the past. That is really interesting to me is to not have any of these um, guys that are a, a top five, top 10 talked about back. But Sai, are we looking at any of these guys going in the first round? If so, how many? And how do you rank them on your big board in terms of who's one, who's two? Okay, so I would argue that none of these guys are going to go in the first round. That's purely because at the top end of this draft, which we've already discussed saying is quite a top-heavy draft in terms of four talents at the top that you could, you could really say are, are very good running backs. Um, the fact that there's four of them makes it more unlikely that one's going to go in the first round because the team will not feel like they need to get that star-studded number one running back. If there isn't really a consensus number one guy, they might wait until the second round, knowing full damn well that one of the four will still be there. Um, on my board, I've got DeAndre Swift uh, from Georgia as number one. I think he comes in at number 14 or 15 on my big board. I'll have a quick look for you now. But um, he's quite a polarizing uh, uh, prospect, is Swift. He's 14 on my big board. Um, I couldn't understand why. But for me, he's more of the all-rounder on this. He's got excellent vision. He shows great patience behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can turn on the jets as he bursts through that line, which I really like. I love the aggression he brings to position. I love the way that translates to his pass protection duties to some extent. Um, and those natural hands, whilst, you know, Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might be considered more of a pass-catching running back. DeAndre Swift, you know, he's got natural hands and they will keep him on the field on third down. Um, but yeah, you do wonder about the athleticism with Swift. You know, he doesn't always show that quick twitch, that burst that you want to see straight away. Um, he likes the ball to bounce the ball outside a little too often for my taste. Um, and deep speed's a concern as well with DeAndre Swift. So people do think that, you know, you can see the separation he garners on the first 10 yards as he... As he as he uh, bowls through the line, but then they can catch him up again. So maybe he doesn't have the long speed that um, some of the other running backs do have. But I would argue that in terms of consistency, he's quite, he's good. You know, he's, he's there all the time. You know, he always provides a reasonable opportunity for his running back, if he's, sorry, his quarterback, if, he, if he's in trouble as a pass catcher. Um, he didn't ever seem to get panicked. He brings that consistent element, element that maybe some of these other guys don't. But yeah, I do understand why some people aren't so hot on him. This is why this is uh, this draft class in a nutshell. Certainly, running back is that there's going to be a lot of different opinion on these guys. As for Jonathan Taylor, he drops the thing down to about number twenty on my big board. Yeah, twenty it is. Um, he's an absolute running back machine. Six thousand yards rushing, three years in Wisconsin, and obviously, like they love running the football in Wisconsin between those two tackles. And why wouldn't he? You know, he, he had a great offensive line in front of him, and he took full advantage. Power running style. But he shows impressive bursts, acceleration, just absolutely brushes on tackles aside. And to be, to be quite honest, his north-south style kind of does him a disservice. You, you see, he's got a, a finesse style of running to his, his game in an absolute beast body. The reason why Taylor, to me, doesn't sit quite at the top is um, a couple of reasons. But the main one is his fumbling. He's fumbled 18 times at college, which is a hell of a lot of fumbles. Now, this is what this is a trait that a lot of people say that you can fix in the NFL, but... I want to know why he hasn't fixed it already. He's got his, his other concern is is, is is the sheer workload he's had in Madison. Um, he's carried the ball a lot, and they do wonder if, if he's you know if he's already worn down a little bit. Which, as we discussed earlier with CMC, is a big reasoning as to why these running backs aren't getting that second contract. And maybe that puts Jonathan Taylor's value down a little bit compared to Swift. Maybe he won't be there in five years' time, like maybe Swift will. They're my top two. Uh, and I'd say out of, the, out of the four that I'm going to discuss right now, they're probably the two most likely to sneak into the first round. I'm sure uh, Willow will talk to you in a minute about the teams who may 
may pull the trigger in the first round. But the other guys that are in the mix, and other people might have these the other way around as well. Uh, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. I call him the playmaker. Uh, he, if he sees the open field, he's a goner. He just... I would, if I was anybody wanting to know a bit more about J.K. Dom, just turn on that Clemson tape in the playoffs this year to see what he can do. Nearly 150 yards in one half against one of the best defenses in football. Uh, he looks durable. He's got a good stocky build with a low centre of gravity. Can be physical when necessary. He finishes hard. Um, yeah, his acceleration is his biggest weapon. Unlike, CD, uh, unlike uh, DeAndre Swift, for instance, uh, he'll keep that speed all the way to the end zone. Vision's a question, though. Like Sometimes when he's in the backfield, he doesn't allow the lanes to develop, doesn't show that patience that CD Lamb does. And he, he kind of has to see it to believe it sometimes. You know, he doesn't, the anticipation, letting, understanding when the hole is going to develop, doesn't quite have that. But he did bring a much more well-rounded game to Columbus last year. Um, and you can tell that the upside's high on Dobbins. Uh, he's not realised his potential yet. So he's an interesting one that maybe even has a better pro career than maybe an NFL career, certainly his first contract. And the final guy of this top four, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, we've mentioned before. He's like more like a bowling ball, pinball style running back that bounces off defenders on his way through. He's small, he's thick, he's an absolute nightmare to tackle. He had one good year at LSU last year. It just took him until his final year in uh, Baton Rouge before he made the job his own, which is obviously a concern. Obviously, his combine time, 40-yard dash time, it was underwhelming at 4.6 seconds. And he had some ball security concerns of his own, to be fair, at the mesh point. But very much an ascending prospect again. And he's most dangerous out of the four, really, in terms of the passing game. will be on the field for all three downs. So each of these guys really do have the, the positives and negatives about them. A lot of different people who are interested in the NFL draft will have them in different pecking orders. But for me, it's Swift, number one. Taylor, number two. Dobbins, three. Edward Soler, number four. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what I'm seeing in many places is either... Swift or Taylor one or two and then Dobbins or Edward Hilaire flipping at three and four. So generally they're the kind of one, two and then the three, four in that kind of combination. You mentioned athleticism with DeAndre Swift and I just wanted to touch on that very quickly. I look at the relative athletic scores that are put together by at MathBomb on Twitter. He does a wonderful job and he has said this year to take all of this with a pinch of salt because they haven't been the pro days. He hasn't been able to sort of take two measures of information to do this but Swift ranks really poorly at the position in terms of his relative athletic score um, he's well down the list around names that if I say them now you're probably not particularly going to be familiar with Raymond Calais out of Louisiana I'm Cy probably is familiar but in general people probably aren't Carlos Blackman out of Central Arkansas and Patrick Taylor Jr. out of Memphis whereas as a contrast Jonathan Taylor ranks top of this group and the highest mark that can be given for uh, for this for this score is 10, and he gets a 9.53, while Swift gets 7.56. So Swift is at about the 75% mark of what it can be, whereas Jonathan Taylor is over the 95% mark. So that gives you some idea of why we're talking about one being more athletic than the other. Taylor ran track at school. It, it really does all play in. So the problem's going to be, Tom, is going to be needs. How many teams do you see having a critical, critical need at running back that may make them go and chase one? Yeah, so this one, I did the same thing yesterday um, and <clears throat> managed to sort of pull together six or seven, I think it was, um, teams that, that probably needed a cornerback sort of straight away. It's a little bit more difficult taking into account other needs um, that the team has and also the value of the position at the moment. So I've, I've got four um, sort of teams that I think would probably be 
probably be wise to look at someone sort of fairly early, probably one of the, uh, probably got their eyes on, on one of the four guys I mentioned earlier. Um, and in, in no particular order, uh, I've got the Miami Dolphins simply because they need someone everywhere. Um, <clears throat> I've got the, the, the Los Angeles Chargers and Rams. Now the Rams in particular, um, because obviously they, they, they lost Todd Gurley. Um, it, was, it was pretty vital and, and their offense was a little bit stagnant last season I suspect as a result uh, and also the Philadelphia Eagles but then again you can fully see a scenario where <clears throat> all of those teams manage to get somebody even later on in the in the draft and, and they sort of serve their purpose it's, it's a weird one to, to kind of go they are desperate for a running back because it's, it's, a, it's a position that is not becoming obsolete but but certainly a position that is is losing its value um, sort of high up the draft. But those, are, for my money at least, those are the four that are um, sort of, would, would, would you, they would probably be best suited sort of early. I mean, either day one or two. Well, not the Rams day one, but certainly day two. Yeah, so I agree on some of those names. It's interesting to hear you put the Eagles in there because you look at them, they've got a, a wealth of depth, but not a lot of high-end quality. They're really lacking a, a pure starter. Um, the Dolphins now have Jordan Howard, which could go either way, depending on if we see rookie Jordan Howard or Jordan Howard of the last three years, which has been sl- quite significantly worse. Um, the Rams, definitely with Todd Gurley out the door, it'll be interesting to see what they make of the guys that got in house. And the Chargers have just paid Austin Eckler, but Austin Eckler, to some extent, is a, is a Christian McCaffrey light in that he's... Not a guy that's going to be used heavily through the tackles, but is a guy that's really good out in space. And his contract is an absolute bargain for the Chargers. It's up there with the smartest things I think the Chargers have perhaps ever done in their franchise history to lock him up. Because I think he is a playmaker on the on the likes of what we see when we see James White have his games where he takes over the games for the Patriots. I think Austin Eckler can do that, but he's more talented. So put that together and see what what you mean in terms of the teams that have interviewed shall we say again interview is going to be in um in speech mark so to speak because it's all a bit strange at the moment the buccaneers lead the buccaneers and falcons and the texans lead the league in the most running back interviews at 11 for the buccaneers and texans and 12 for the falcons now the texans addressed that with the trade that we won't go into the 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 merits of that trade, but they bought in David Johnson recently. So they're probably now not looking at a running back, but there's definitely going to be teams looking to get in on these guys. And it'll be interesting to see on day two, especially once a couple of guys go off the board, whether there becomes a bit of a clamor to get Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and JK Dobbins, or whether teams are happy to settle for guys a little bit further down these boards. So that now brings us nicely, Si, onto the deeper part of the class. So you've told us about the guys that could potentially be going in the first two, two and a half rounds in those four guys. Is there anyone else we might expect to see join them on day two? Are we talking a, a, like a, a wealth of picks on day two or are we maybe thinking it's just going to be those four in the first two days and then we're going to see a lot more running backs come off the board in day three? So what I would say is that um, the likelihood is that at least one of the guys that would come off day two, probably in the third round, that would be Cam Akers. I think he's guaranteed. He's, I think he's closer to the top group than he is maybe the rest of the, uh, the pack now. He's kind of in a tier of his own. Um, 
I've been a bit unfair on Cam Akers, uh, mostly because I'm not a fan of Florida State at all. But if you, if I'm being fair and honest, he did shine uh, in Tallahassee, despite being like in a shoddy offense with a shoddy head coach. Um, I think he's that kind of hard-hitting north-south kind of guy that will have his admirers. But for me, he doesn't quite have that wow factor of the of the four we we, we talked about before. He's just slightly underneath as a tier, but certainly an interesting option for somebody who might not want to go and give a premium first or second round pick up for. So someone interesting, maybe the Buccaneers, if they, you know, in the third round, maybe they want to manipulate the board a little bit. Maybe they can think of, we're not going to go and take uh, running back with one of our first two picks, but they're not quite happy with Ronald Jones, even though he progressed a bit like last year, they could go and take someone like Cam Akers, keep him in state. That's kind of thing. It's quite an interesting possibility. I'd argue that he's definitely a third round pick at the latest. And um, the other guys are borderline. I've got a couple of borderline guys where I say, could sneak into the third round, but probably not. One of them, as I've already mentioned, is Eno Benjamin. He's one of my favourites. I profiled this guy early in the season for Arizona State. He was on my um, lookout list at the back end of last season as well. Um, as I said, I've already talked about him a little bit. All-round skill set, that competitive nature, kind of a David Montgomery type. He went to the Bears last year. Just love everything about him, really. His ability in the passing game. He, and he just... He just he never fumbled once at college. I think he had over 500 snaps and didn't fumble once at college, but... The reason why these guys drop down is because they've got significant you know, uh, cons about them. And the, this guy's got subpar athleticism. He's a little bit of a one-trick pony in terms of uh, moves at the line. He does his little spin move, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So, if you know, if you do enough tape on there, Benjamin, I suppose he needs to develop that side of the game. So more, almost like a, a jack-of-all-trades master of none. He'll get that tag put on him. He's a little bit undersized, as we discussed already, more in the um, Christian McCaffrey role, but... And because he's obviously an RB2 rather than what McCaffrey's turned out to be, which is an RB1 and a WR1, I think you're going to look at his, his value being capped certainly later in, in round three, but more likely day three, to be fair. And the other guy who I absolutely love, and I've probably got a higher than most people on my board, is Zach Moss from Utah. Do not let this guy fool you, folks. Uh, he's got this, like, he looks elegant with the ball in his hand. He's a beautiful runner. But if you don't pay attention, he's going to run right through you. Smack you in the mouth. No questions asked. He's got... He's had a big workload down in Utah. I don't care. I honestly do not care. He's definitely got the body for an NFL career. I love his yards after contact ability. Uh, you think he was a smash mouth running back, but he has this, such good athleticism. His rare ability to cut back or juke would be tackled out the cleats. One of my favorite prospects, as I said. I'd compare it to Joe Mixon, this, a kind of running back who's got that ability to be a power running back when he needs to be, to beat people to the, to the corner when he needs to be. You know, he can he can make moves in, in, in small spaces. I really like Zach Moss. I think he's going to provide great value uh, in round three, maybe round four in the draft. Whether or not he makes that day two mark, I'm not quite sure. But they'd be the two guys alongside Cam Akers who could possibly sneak into that day two range. Yeah, they're all good names. They're all similar names to what I'm seeing elsewhere. Um, I've seen Josh Kelly and AJ Dillon get mentioned but we will come back and go on to them in a little bit more detail they're both they're all interesting players and they can all do a a role but the concern with any of these backs now is how how much can they carry the load but then again saying that the nfl is transitioning more towards this committee approach isn't it tom it's a lot more a guy a, there's no there's, there's less more there's less do it all guys and more horses for courses type guys more uh sub package type running backs guys that flex out and go out into the slot and then will come back in we talked about we've talked about james white he's that kind of guy the patriots are a prime example they've got sonny michelle who does uh, does the running work they've got james white who does the passing work and then they've got rex burkhead who does a bit of both but not particularly brilliantly 
So that's kind of the way that the league is transitioning now, isn't it, Tom? So all of these guys could have value in the NFL now, do you think? It's just, it's really hard to put them anywhere for definite because it all depends what each team is looking for. No, you're exactly right. And um, I, th- I think that's why you will probably see um, even even uh, the possibility of some of the bigger names slipping as, as teams try to figure out how best to get to get the how they can get the best out of those particular players but also how they can avoid ruining their careers within the first three or four years uh, I did have a look at some of the um, sort of the later round players that, that have been taken recently and, and there is a lot of value to be sort of to be found um, sort of later in the draft for that kind of position some big names as well I mean Aaron Jones last season for the uh, the, the Green Bay Packers was something of a, of a revelation for them. And he was a fifth-round pick. Alvin Kamara is a, an, an obvious one as, as somebody who is, again, something of a, a Swiss army knife for, for the, the New Orleans Saints as a third-round pick. Um, Chris Carson for the for the Seahawks, a seventh-round pick. Philip Lindsay was, was undrafted for the, for the Broncos. There's, there's a lot of value to be found, which is why I find it difficult to imagine a scenario where somebody goes all in on uh, on somebody certainly this season um and when, when it comes to the, the teams that do probably need someone in for for depth or, or just as a different option the likes of i mean you, you mentioned earlier the falcons have interviewed what 12 guys um the buccaneers are looking at uh, the possibility of someone additional i would probably argue the bills need somebody as well you, you, again the, the, the kansas city Chiefs could, could do someone as well i think it'd be interesting to see who they look at um, possibly round three onwards as a uh, a change of pace type uh, type of running back. Yeah, absolutely, and I completely agree. Running backs almost seem to now be being put more out more out of, not thin air, but out of the lower parts of the draft and even undrafted. I spoke about Austin Eckler and his contract. He was an undrafted free agent, and I don't want to gush too much on on him, but it just shows that if you're willing to try and give different people opportunities there's a chance to hit gold with these guys that come in under the radar and it, it unfortunately for the guys that put in the hard work and are extremely talented it is devaluing what they can expect to see on draft day and in their contracts so now let's go on and talk about some of these guys who might potentially be diamonds in the rough might be guys that are picked up in the sixth seventh round or on day three at some point or even undrafted free agents who could go on and make an impact for a team, maybe not in 2020, but 2021, 2022 and beyond. So who have you got names-wise, Si, that we should be keeping an eye on when it comes to day three? Well, I probably did one guy a disservice. Um, I didn't. I haven't scouted him this year, which is probably bad on my part, but um, I'm sure Bex will know a little bit more about him. This one of his group of five running backs called Darrington Evans from Appalachian State. He's absolutely fantastic. He's, he's got elite athleticism. Talk about your, uh, your RAS scores. Um Ben, I think he had a, a fantastic one. I think he was up in, in, the, in the top uh, echelons of that too. He's a very, very, very smart guy. Oh, 9.1 for his RAS score. So he's up in the top top three or four running backs there. Um, coaches rave about his, his high IQ. Uh, like I say, I haven't scouted him, but he could definitely sneak into that day two spot. I shouldn't have neglected that one. I do apologise to Darrington Evans there and to Bex as well before she lynches me. But um, in terms of like day three guys, I've got a couple of guys I like, very intriguing, very different prospects I, I wouldn't mind talking about. One is uh, Anthony McFarlane from Maryland, who one of our colleagues, Josh Ed, was directing me to this guy. And I'm a believer now after watching enough of his tape. Um, Josh is obviously a Maryland fan, so that's where, how he knows him. Um, but yeah, I'd say that McFarland. 
definitely a complimentary back at this stage. He's small ball carry, carrier with uh, power questions, durability questions. So, you know, that instantly puts a cap on his draft stock, really. You know, you want to know how high a guy goes. That's going to limit him. But yeah, five foot nine, hundred under 200 pounds. But holy hell, does his athleticism jump off the tape? Hundreds, zero to 100 in blink of an eye. Sees a crease, he's gone. And he isn't scared of contact to finish either, which obviously brings about further durability questions. He's got a very physical uh, style of play for such a small guy. Um, could be used as a gadget type player in the backfield. Might want to bulk up a little for the pros, but you don't want to lose that speed. So ultimately, you can see in one of these kind of modern day offenses with Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan being used in specific situations with his own playbook. Expect his, that kind of guy to get the back end of a roster, like you say, 21, 22, those seasons. Expect his usage to grow as he gets acclimated to the step up and have a bigger role. Maybe once he's, got, he's beefed up just a little bit more. Uh, on the other foot, completely opposite, different kind of prospect. And I'm sure our colleague Oliver Hodgkins will be interested in this. is uh, AJ Dillon from Boston College. This is guy is a tank with legs. He's six foot tall, 250 pounds. Uh, good luck trying to stop him when he hits full speed. And I've got no idea how he can be as quick and nimble as he is with that size. And just like you said, uh, ben, he had a fantastic RAS score as well, I think, didn't he? So this this is the, the uh, advantage of doing the athletic testing. doesn't tell you everything about a guy. I'd much rather watch tape and find out that way. But you can kind of get a feel for him. He got 9.12, so he did even better than Darrington Evans. But yeah, for a guy who's, who's that big, he regularly makes defenders miss in open space. He shows good football anticipation, smarts, lets that play develop, steps into beast mode and just runs, down, just runs through people if he needs to. It's quite ironic, actually, I say beast mode because... I think I had him go to the Seahawks in my seven-round mock draft, I think in the fourth round or fifth round. I can't remember now. You can't really call AJ Dillon a north-south guy because the tape just shows him bouncing outside and making the corner. Yeah, obviously this guy, you know, he's a heavy plodder. He gears down when changing direction. I think his three-cone drill was 7.19 seconds, which wasn't a very good time at all. Uh, and I think some teams might view him as a fullback, which would be a waste in my opinion. But um, to me, you look at, you know, there are some outliers, again, like Christy McCaffrey's one kind of outlier in, in the NFL. So is Derek Henry. He's a guy who you just would not expect to be seen, especially as the NFL goes more and more dynamic, more and more athletic. But he sets the standard. You see, you'd hope to see AJ Dillon have a similar trajectory in a, uh, when he makes the transition to the pros as well. So he's another one who I would... I, would, I wouldn't say he's one of my favourites. I know he's a few other people's favourites, but he's very, very unique in his style of running. Uh, someone who's definitely going to be interesting to watch if he does make it in, in the NFL. Yeah, you're not going to be surprised who I've got circled here. It's uh, Keyshawn Vaughan and your comp is Austin Eckler. So before I start going <laughs> on about how, how much I love Austin Eckler again and giving the Chargers too much credit, um, I, that's all I need to tell you really is that he he has that, that comp to Austin Eckler. He isn't the complete package. He isn't going to do everything, but... He can do a bit of everything, and that's what I think is so important right now. I think a guy that you can send all over the field, create matchups with is so important. And Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt is one of a number of guys out of Vanderbilt that I'm really excited to see in terms of the offense, how they transition, because Vanderbilt struggled in the last year or so, and it'll be interesting now to see if those guys can take the next step. The one other name that I had circled here was J.J. Taylor. And again, it's a similar type of guy. You've comped him to Darren Sproles, which again is pretty much what he makes me think of when I watch. And I know size plays a lot of a part in that, but it's just important to be able to have those guys that can be those change of pace backs. And JJ Taylor might be a name that 
if you're a fantasy player, you you see being a kind of best ball-y kind of guy, but in the future where he makes good plays some weeks but doesn't other weeks, just depends on if he can get in space. So they're kind of my two to watch in the sort of fifth, sixth round. I just wanted to ask you about Josh Kelly because I've seen him get buzz around the guys we talked about in the third round, but you have him right down at running back 20, size. So what is it that you see with Josh Kelly that really worries you? Well, let's start with the good things. I mean, this guy has got a 2,000 pound draw purpose yards last two years at UCLA. I think he got 24 touchdowns in that time. He has the numbers. You can't argue with it. He's this big physical kind of down, uh, downhill runner that you like to see. But to me, he lacks very. He's very blatantly like certain athletic traits that uh, NFL scouts like to like to look for. And, we, and as Willow just said, you can find these kind of talents in the UDFA market in the back end of the, of the draft. And I'm not quite sure why teams will just jump that high up to like a, a day two pick and take someone like Joshua Kelly when his long speed is limited. You know, um, I don't think his measurables stuck, stacked up earlier. You know, in the pre-draft process, and obviously these guys haven't had the pro day to be able to prove doubters wrong, which is obviously a big problem for a lot of them. Um, not so shifty. That's another thing I didn't like to see him. Just doesn't have that kind of dynamic edge that some of these other guys do have. I mean, again, UCLA, not one of my favourite schools, and I, I do not mind admitting that some of my rankings will be based on do I just enjoy watching the guy play football? Uh, that is quite often the case with me. Um, we'll talk about the Vanderbilt guys. I'm probably a little bit high on Keyshawn more than most people as well because um, I'm quite high on the, Van- the Vanderbilt trio, we'll call them, who uh, came out of uh, that school. looked really good in 2018, but last year stank the place up because Vanderbilt were bad, you know, so a lot of people might see Keyshawn Vaughn as undrafted free agent. I think I had him going in the fifth round, maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it all depends what kind of style running back you like. I do like the fact that Josh Kelly's productive. I like the fact that he kind of ticks a lot of boxes to a certain extent, but he just doesn't really excel at any one thing. Um, he just doesn't stand out to me compared to some of the other guys. And I, and my prediction, my ranking is somewhat also affected by the fact I just don't see why NFL scouts would take a point on him early when they can find other people with maybe like the JJ Taylor, who's got that immense, like quick sh- shift athleticism from off the start, you know, acceleration. He's got that. That is a very definable trait that he can use in certain situations. And when you're looking at the back end of the draft, you're looking for guys who can provide you with big time plays or, you know, one-off moments that can really help you. And I don't, I'm not sure that Kelly has that. And you can just get that whenever you need it, if you know what I mean. You can pick that kind of a Joshua Kelly up, like I say, back in the round and not waste valuable draft capital on it when you can get go hit other positions and who the drop-off isn't quite as stark. So one final one final name. I think I said that before, but we'll go back to one final name. And I, I, I we probably should have covered him on the wide receivers, but running back is a good place to put him as well. Is Malcolm Perry out of Navy? Now he stood out to me simply because I watched the Army Navy game like I always do, and he always stands out in that game. He is just a do it all kind of guy that I really enjoy watching. I think could be a Taysom Hill light in terms of his ability to influence. He's played a bit of quarterback. He's played a bit of wide receiver. He's played a bit of running back. He's not the most complete prospect. And his problem is going to be that he's not really a complete prospect at any position. He he needs a system that's putting him in, in the space that he had at Navy. So I just think he's a name to watch on the final day or in undrafted free agency, just to see if somebody creative I don't know if it'd be a Sean Payton but somebody along those lines might say let's bring him in let's see what we can do with him even if he just contributes on special teams to begin with and they start putting packages in for him 
He's a guy that I'm really intrigued to see. I pretty much take him at the end of every mock draft that I do, when I, no matter what team I'm picking, just because in the seventh round, why would you not take a gamble on a guy that could contribute in some ways to your team? Oh, fantastic play. I mean, high-character guy, you'd expect nothing less from coming from the Naval Academy. You know, you could... You cannot. You could just see Bill Belichick with his navy ties taking a pot on this guy, giving it to Josh McDaniels. Say you've got twelve months, two years. Come up with some packages for him. See what you can do. You can call him a running back if you want. You can call him a receiver if you want. But there's no way to define Perry's role at the next level. He's going to be that gadget guy. He's going to provide you with special teams value. Um, you're likely going to be able to find him as an undrafted free agent. Uh, he's very much a, a good story. You know, watching Navy is a unique uh, experience in itself in that they might pass the football, maybe, uh, I think you probably count on both hands the amount of times if they, they threw a pass last season. So that's uh, intriguing in, in itself. But yeah, I love the guy, I love the way that the, the better, the smarter football teams, teams like the Patriots, they will find these guys who can add something valuable to their team that other teams just cannot uh, envision uh, like they can. And yeah, like you say, Sean Payton's got that ability to do that. But yeah, the Navy link with New England just makes me feel like I can end up seeing him in Boston next year, which would... Uh, Probably upset me a little bit, to be honest. Well, look on the bright side. When Jarrett Stidham fails, he could be the Patriots' quarterback. So um, there's always <laughs> that in our future. So we'll uh, we'll leave it there before we go any deeper down the running back chart and I talk any more about Austin Eckler. Um, besides, can you tell us what is coming up over the next week and a half on the touchdown for the draft? What kind of things can we expect to see from your team? Okay, so if you want to head over to uh, the touchdown.co.uk forward slash draft hub, you'll find everything we've done so far for starters, which is obviously we've got, um, I think, up to 270 prospect reports now that me and Rebecca Rennie have uh, compiled together. We've got a perfect pick series, which goes through every single team. So you'll be able to find your team and see what we think will be a good draft haul for you. Um, coming up so far, we've got more interviews from Ollie Hodgkinson, fantastic interviews. I know I think he's got at least two more to come. I think he's already done like 16 in total. It's ridiculous. I know Ben put together a nice tweet thread uh, this afternoon so I'll just hit that up and just go and read you go got time to do it right now go and have a read of these articles they're phenomenal really are we've got um, big buzz from me Rebecca from um, Rory we've got all kinds of things and George is going to be doing some interesting stuff coming up this week as well which I know you're looking forward to Ben uh, history of the NFL draft looking back at some of the greatest drafts in history the 2004 draft for instance with Eli Manning Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger and then you know the 1983 draft with Dan Marino some real good stuff coming still. We're hoping to give you content all the way up to draft night. And then on draft night, we'll be bombarding you with our takes and on all the picks. Absolutely. It's going to be so much fun. I'm really looking forward to the draft history stuff. As I said, I'm going to have George on here later this week and we're going to talk a bit about it because I only really got into the NFL um, now 12, 13, 14 years ago. I think the first season I properly watched was the season that the Patriots run TV every week, just blowing teams out, out of the water. And it's what hooked me was just watching them. So I have a relatively relative lack of understanding, especially from the draft, of anything that happened before that. So I'm really looking forward to George's articles. And you've mentioned all these interviews. I can't recommend them highly enough. He does a great job. It's so nice to not just read the prospect profiles of these guys, but to get to know them a little bit more. It's one of the things I really love about shows like Last Chance You, All or Nothing, those kind of things. It's a chance to get to know players a little bit more. So if you want to get to know the guys that might end up being on your team, go and give them a read. So it's absolutely wonderful stuff. And of course, Sai is part of the team that does the Collapsing Pocket podcast, so go and check that out if you like your football with a little bit more edge and even more beer, I would say, is the way I would sum up that podcast. It's a lot of fun. 
never disappoint always a good laugh no matter what you take from it and they're there is it inside the pocket the ones that you do where you dig in on some more serious topics they're brilliant as well yeah they're, they're actually one of our favorite things so in the off season which we'll be coming after the draft we'll be doing some more of those though covid permitting we've been carrying on pods doing two a week through through the uh, lockdown but yeah i think um talking of the 1983 draft i think we're going to do a inside the pocket uh this this uh, off season on that because it is one of the more intriguing uh drafts out there and then um, obviously we'll let you read george's article before we get into it but yeah you can catch us uh, over at pocket crumble on twitter if you don't mind a bit of bad language come and check us out Absolutely. You, you, you put your filters on, just just filter the bad language out if you're like me and you'd like to keep it all PG, PG-13. Um, and Tom, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for your analysis on the Christian McCaffrey trade. It was just what we were looking for. Uh, or trade, new contract, I'm sorry. Um, uh, Panthers fans just had a heart attack. Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much. It was just what we were looking for, a bit of analysis on some NFL to launch us into this running backs show. Just remind us again where we can find you and what you've got coming up soon. Yeah, uh, I'm on everything <clears throat> as uh, Willow290592. Um, just while we're talking about uh, Ollie's interviews, I don't know about anyone else, but every single one that I've read, I've gone, I wouldn't mind the Falcons taking him. Or please insert your team name here. I wouldn't <laughs> mind blank taking him. Um, I've, I've, so if, if we get into a situation where we've got 50 picks... Um, there we go. That's us sorted. Um, I, I've got a thing coming up. Uh, it should be ready, if not the end of this week, certainly the start of next week, definitely before the uh, uh, draft, um, about the most bizarre draft pick ever. I said it yesterday. Um, it's really weird. Uh, and it's going to be hopefully as weird as the trade thing that I talked about yesterday as well. Um, but apart from that, I talk a lot about video games and Star Wars, and you don't have to talk uh, follow that if you don't want to. I fully... I fully appreciate that that's not everyone's flavour. As I said yesterday, if you want to hear more of Tom's football takes, follow us at the Touchdown NFL. He's often jumping on there, providing us with retweets and analysis of things. So be sure to jump on there. If you want to follow me, you can find me at BenRoll15. I do a bit of everything as well. A um, bit, of, bit of betting, a bit of contract related talks for with Pro Football Network. I just do a bit of everything. I, I'm the head of NFL content here and I'm absolutely loving it. I'm taking full advantage of there being no sport on right now to really dig into the NFL. I'm churning out numbers. I'm hoping to put a statistics all-decade team together. I know we've seen some all-decade teams coming out from other places, but I'm hoping to do it a little bit differently and break down why I'm picking the guys at each position in a little more detail. That'll be coming in the off-season. And we've got some really exciting things coming after the draft. We have been planning for what we're going to do after the draft when everything slows down. And I promise you there's some really interesting content coming. So make sure you follow us at the Touchdown NFL. We're going to try and keep you entertained for however long this lockdown continues for. And I hope you stay well. And thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben. Right. Don't even mention it. It's fine.